reading this evening is Philippians and chapter 4. Paul's epistle to Philippians chapter 4, and we're reading the whole chapter. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true your fellow, help those women which laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow labourers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affection. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly laid out of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And again, we shall say the Lord, for that is our special blessing to the reading of his infallible word. Well, this evening we are concluding our series of studies in Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Just to remind you, Philippi was a Roman colony 
in northeast Greece or Macedonia, and we read of the Apostles' first visit to the city in the Acts of the Apostles and chapter 16. Also, we read in Acts 20 of a further visit, and some scholars believe that there may even have been a third, even a fourth visit. And I know many of us will associate Philippi with the place where the jailer and his household were converted and the place where the Lord opened Lydia's heart. Just to remind you again, it's all that Paul wrote his epistle to those saints of Philippi for five separate reasons. Firstly, he wanted to thank the Philippian saints for a gift that they had sent to him. Secondly, he wanted them to know why the man named Epaphroditus, whom the Philippian saints had sent to Paul with the gift, was now being sent back to them. Thirdly, he wanted them to know more about his own situation at Rome and those who were with him. Fourthly, he wanted to exhort them to unity. Fifthly and finally, he wanted to warn them against false teaching. And those of you who have read Paul's epistles will know that this was a warning that he often gave, a warning against false teaching. Well, in our last study, our sixth study, we considered the last ten verses of chapter three, and when we came to a conclusion, we noted that it would be good if our aim was the same as Paul's aim. He said this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May we all press toward the mark. Well, this evening in our seventh and final study, we will be considering the whole of chapter 4, and we begin with verse 1, which reads thus, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And of course, whenever, whenever we have a, a wherefore or a therefore in the scriptures, we need to consider what has just been written. And Paul has just been warning the saints of Philippi to beware of false teachers, those described by him as the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And now he tells the saints to stand fast in the Lord, to not waver in their stand for the truth of the gospel, not to be influenced by those who would lead them astray if they could. And of course this exhortation is suited to every generation of believers, including ourselves. Stand fast in the Lord. Notice carefully the lovely descriptive phraseology used by Paul to accompany that exhortation. My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, my dearly beloved. I wonder how many of us would describe our fellow believers in such a way. Paul refers to his readers twice as dearly beloved, not just beloved, but dearly beloved. He, he longed for them, meaning that he missed them, and he wished that he could have been able to meet up with them again. 
and he considered them did not to be his joy and crown, the living testimony of his ministry over which he could rejoice. However, despite his love for the Philippian saints and his desire to see them again, we see that he had become aware that there were some problems at Philippi, as there can be in many fellowships. And this is why he followed his exhortation with these words, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now you know there's been a lot of speculation about these two ladies, or they were ladies, but it's impossible to substantiate most of that speculation. There have been those who, for example, have suggested that these ladies, Euodius and Syndicate were some sort of leaders at Philippi, and they tried to use that suggestion to justify the acceptance of women leaders in the church. But there are no grounds whatsoever for holding that view, none at all. All we really know about the two women is that they were not of the same mind about something. We don't know what, but we know that it must have been something of significance for the apostle to have specifically mentioned in his letter. Now, some people have used this situation to suggest that it's usually women who fall out with each other, who have disagreements with each other, who are not of the same mind, but to my mind, that's an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. Whilst it is true that men and women may have different problems in their relationships with members of their own sex, it's beyond dispute that there have been problems in fellowships where there have been disagreements between men as well as between women. And so when we see Paul beseeching those two ladies of Philippi to be reconciled, we mustn't conclude that it's only ladies who need to be encouraged to be of the same mind, but all of us. Mm -hmm. Earlier in our studies in Philippians, in chapter 2 and verse 2, we came across this, this exhortation. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And so we see clearly that it's both men and women who are to be of the same mind in the Lord. But next we come to a bit of a mystery, as we consider verse 3 of Philippians 4, which reads thus, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labour with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Well, who was that true yoke The epistle was addressed to all the saints of Philippi, including the elders and deacons, many of whom could have been considered to be co-workers or, or yoke fellows. And so it seems to me that it would have been strange if the Philippian saints wouldn't have been able to recognise exactly who it was to whom Paul was referring. Now we know that people's names have meanings, and so the Greek word sazugos, which is here translated as yoke fellow, could have been the actual name of one of the saints of Philippi. We, we can't be definite about that, but it would certainly make sense. Well, whoever the man might have been, we see that Paul wanted him to do what he could to support certain people who had laboured with him in the Gospel at Philippi. He wrote, help those women 
which laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers. Some scholars believe that the construction of the Greek text, that's both in the received text and in close variations, are such as to pinpoint or identify Euodius and Syntyche as those women which laboured with me in the gospel, and this may well have been so. There have been both male and female co-workers who helped Paul in his work for the Lord in Philippi, and we need to understand that this should be the case in all generations, including our own. The scriptures are very clear as to the roles that can be undertaken by men and women, but this in no way precludes ladies from helping in Christian work. Now, with regard to Clement, we don't know anything definite about him, but it appears that Clement was a Roman name, and it's possible that he was the Clement who eventually came became a bishop at Rome. We don't know for sure one way or the other. But before we move on, there is a question for us to answer. Would we count ourselves amongst those who help fellow laborers? Do we see it as a privilege to be able to assist those who labor in the gospel, even when we may not be able to do much ourselves? There may come a time when age or infirmity prevents us from doing those things that we once could. But we can always remember other workers in prayer, and where possible, we can always support individuals or organisations financially. Whilst our primary concern should perhaps be for those who labour for the Lord in our own fellowships, we can support others as well. Now we mustn't rush on and overlook the last eight words of verse 3 of our study, whose names are in the book of life. Whose names are in the book of life. Those who have laboured with Paul in the Gospel had their names written in the book of life, which means that they would spend eternity in heaven when they died, rather than spend eternity in hell. And this a question that we must ask ourselves. Are our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Only those who repent of their sin and are converted have their names written in the Book of Life. Now verse 4 of Philippians 4 is perhaps one of those verses that believers might recall daily. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. When we consider verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3, we saw that it would always be good for believers to be reminded that irrespective of anything else, we should always be able to rejoice in the fact that we are believers, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, sinners saved by grace, those who trust in the Lord. Now, we know from the scriptures and our own experience that the Christian life is not always an easy life. But there should never come a time when we are not able to rejoice in the fact that we have had all our sins forgiven mm -hmm. and that we are, by grace, on our way to heaven. We should always be able to rejoice. And this is what Paul wanted to convey to his readers, including ourselves. And so, when we are perhaps tempted to feel a bit sorry for ourselves, maybe we bring to mind the scripture, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. 
Now, verse 5 of our study this evening reads thus, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And the Greek word translated here as moderation could equally have been translated as patience or as gentleness. And what Paul is concerned with here, is it not, is the witness of believers. We've already seen in our earlier studies in Philippians how Paul stresses the importance of being a good witness to unbelievers. In Philippians 1 verse 10 we saw that believers are to be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ. In verse 27 of chapter 1 we saw that Paul gave this directive, only let your conversation, that is behaviour, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2 we saw Paul wrote that we should do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And here in chapter 4, we have more, more of the same. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. People are watching us to see if we display the fruits of the Spirit and God. The Lord is also watching us. When Paul wrote that the Lord was at hand, he wasn't referring to the Lord's imminent return, but to the fact that the Lord is ever-present and watching to see if believers are being good witnesses. And should that not prompt us to take care to live godly lives, knowing that we are being watched by men, and more importantly, by the Lord Himself. Now, we next come to a verse which could easily be misconstrued if we were not to compare Scripture with Scripture. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, we know from other Scriptures that we are to take good care of our souls, and also our bodies, amongst other things. We are to take good care of those things. But we are not to be anxious or to be over-concerned about things. Mm -hmm. And we need to be reminded of what the Lord Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. The Lord said this, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And this is why Paul wrote those words to the saints of Philippi. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. If we have any concerns, we can tell our Heavenly Father about them in prayer coming up. We can thank him for how he has helped us thus far and ask him to continue to help us. We need to remember that those of us who are believers are the children of our Heavenly Father. We are adopted children and that our Father is delighted when we come to him with our requests. And he will always do that which is best for us as with any good father who wants the best for his children. are in a right relationship with God and come to him with all our concerns, then we can leave them with him, knowing that he will do that which is best for us. We're not to be over-concerned or anxious since, as Paul wrote, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to be at peace with God through faith in his Son, being forgiven of all our sins and on our way to heaven. But it's also wonderful when we are believers, when we are in Christ, to have that peace of mind that comes from trusting that our God always does all things well. Now you may remember that at the start of chapter 3, it seemed that Paul was getting ready to conclude his letter. He wrote, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. But then he realised that he had rather more to write, which he did. But now we come to another finally, what we might call the final finally. Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And here we have the Apostle exhorting his readers at Philippi and also ourselves to only allow such things in our minds as will be for our spiritual good. To think about or meditate on such things as will be of spiritual benefit to us. Sad to say, we all allow or have allowed things into our minds that are of no benefit to us and which calls us to sin. We're assailed on every side, are we not, by bad films, bad television, bad journalism, bad social media, anything unsavoury that we may allow in and think about, usually leading to sinful thoughts. So let us resolve to follow the Apostle's advice and only think about true things as opposed to false things. Things that confirm, that conform rather to the word of truth which is God's word. Let us think about honest things as opposed to dishonest things, and pure things as opposed to that which is unpure. Let us think about lovely things, things that are of good rather than of evil report, virtuous things, praiseworthy things, and, and of course we could go on. But we can see the overall message coming on to only allow into our minds such things as will profit us in our Christian lives. 
Now, my last study, we considered verse 17 of chapter 3, which reads thus, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have, have us for an example. And we saw then how Paul encouraged his readers, including ourselves, to follow his example. Now in verse 9 of chapter 4, we see something similar. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Well, as I made clear in our last study, Paul wasn't in any way suggesting that he was to be considered the supreme example for believers, for our supreme example will only ever be the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul wanted people to follow his example insofar as he himself was following Christ and was living his life in a way that was pleasing to God. Notice carefully that Paul pointed to not just his teaching, but his conduct, his behaviour. Those things which he had both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Our conduct is equally as important as our teaching, if we are going to exhort others to follow our example. And Paul was confident that if his readers did as he asked, then they would be blessed. He said, the God of peace shall be with you. Mm -hmm. In verse 7 of our study, we consider how the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. And now we see how the God of peace shall be with you. Only if we know the God of peace can we know the peace of God. And then only if we are walking in his ways. But next we come to a section of the epistle about the gift which the Philippian saints had sent to Paul with Epaphroditus. Verse 10 of our study passage reads thus, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were all also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now, when Paul was in Rome, there may have been times when he wondered if those to whom he had faithfully ministered in the past and perhaps had supported him in the past, had forgotten about him. We need to bear in mind that in New Testament times, communication could only be by letter or by word of mouth, and that those who lived far away from each other could go a long time without hearing from one another. No doubt Paul did hear from people from time to time, but it does appear that the visit of Epaphroditus with a gift of some sort was a surprise to him and lifted his spirits accordingly. He wasn't expecting it. We see that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. After some time, at the last, as Paul puts it, those of Philippo once more showed their concern for Paul's welfare. Your care of me had flourished again. Paul said that he knew that those saints of Philippi uh, their care of him was such that if it had been possible, they would have been in touch sooner. Wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. And as we'll be seeing in a moment, this was by no means the first time that the saints of Philippi had supported Paul in his missionary work. Now we come to another key verse of believers. Although Paul really was grateful for the gift from Philippi, he wanted the saints there and us to understand that he would have continued to serve the Lord whatever his situation.
gifts or no gifts. He wrote, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. You know, we could spend our lives wishing that we had more resources, more help, perhaps better help, many other things. But what we all need to learn, what Paul had learned, is that we need to be prepared to serve God as we are. To serve God as we are. Paul was content to serve God in Rome as he was able, irrespective of his confinement. And we know from elsewhere in the scriptures that contentment is to be commended, always provided it's accompanied by godliness. We see this from 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8, which read thus, But godliness with contentment is great pain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Therewith content. Now you know, there's a book which was written in the 17th century by a Puritan whose name was Jeremiah Burroughs. You may have heard of it, and the title of that book is The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And it's this very title which indicates that the author was of the opinion that contentment amongst believers was uncommon or rare. And this raises the question for us, does it not? How content are we in our situations? How content are we with our Lord? Are we determined to serve God come what may? Or would that depend on our circumstances? We see that Paul had learned to cope in both good and in bad situations. For he wrote those words, I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be poor and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And the key to understanding how Paul could cope with different situations at both extremes is found, is it not, in that final sentence. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul wasn't relying on any, in any way on his own strength to cope with fluctuations in his circumstances, but on his Saviour strengthening him. Mm-hmm. And this is a lesson for us as it not? So whenever we feel that things are too tough for us to cope with, we can perhaps recall that verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now although Paul felt that he would have managed without the gift, that those Philippian saints sent to him. He nonetheless wanted them to know that he really appreciated what they had done. This is why he wrote the words, Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affection. The saints were to be commended for their gift to Paul in his straitened circumstances. And it wasn't the first time that they had done something similar. We know this from verses 15 and 16 of our study passage, which read thus. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. 
Paul had received material support from the saints of Philippi after he had departed from them to minister elsewhere, and it appears from them alone. We know of this support from what Paul subsequently wrote to the saints of Corinth in uh, chapter 11 of his second letter to the Corinthians, verses 7 to 9. Have I committed an offence in abasing myself that ye might be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely, I brought other churches taking waiting for them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So Paul was supported in his ministry in Thessalonica, and then in Corinth, and probably in other places as well. And this, of course, raises the question for us, does it not? Where missionary work is undertaken, how should it be supported? Who should support it? If a church sends someone to another country to do missionary work, then it seems right that that sending church should provide support. But should others provide support as well? And that's something for us to think about. Returning to our study passage, we see that Paul didn't want to be seen as someone who was always desiring gifts, someone who was always expecting them, which is why he wrote these words, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul knew that the saints of Philippi would be rewarded by God for their generosity to him, and thus he was more concerned about their than any gifts that he might receive. Paul knew that it was more blessed to give than to receive. And this is evidenced by the record of what he told the church elders in Acts 20, verse 35. He wrote this, or I said this, brother. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 18 of our study passage reads thus, But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And here we have Paul saying that he had received all that had been brought to him by Epaphroditus from Philippi, and thus did abound and was full. And the original Greek word used by Paul accentuate the exceeding fullness that he felt on having received that gift from Philip. And that gift was a satisfaction to him that he compared that satisfaction to the satisfaction that God felt when acceptable sacrifices of burnt offerings were made to him in the Old Testament. If you look at Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 to 22, you'll find there an account of Noah's sacrifice of thanksgiving after that great flood had subsided. We read, And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savour. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his use. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, 
seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So the Lord smelled a sweet savour on that occasion of Noah's sacrifice. And here we have Paul indicating that the sacrificial giving of the Philippian saints was similarly pleasing to God, well pleasing to him. And Paul wanted those saints to be aware that God wouldn't forget what they had done, just as he doesn't forget anything that's done in our service for him. God is no man's debtor. Mm -hmm. This is why Paul wrote these words to the saints of Philippi, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Another key verse for all believers, a verse to be memorized, but notice carefully that God says that he will supply all our needs, not necessarily all our wants. Everything in this world belongs to God. Just consider what God tells us in Psalm 50, verses 9 to 12. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goes out of thy folds, but every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. And in Psalm 104, verse 24, the psalmist says this, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. But as well as being the supplier of earthly riches, our God has other riches to give us for. He is rich in grace and in mercy, is he not? As that commentator John Mill points out, it is according to the riches of his grace that he supplies the spiritual wants of his people. He gives his people all things richly to enjoy, plenteously and abundantly. And we also need to know that God will supply all our need according to his riches in glory and by Christ Jesus. Our God will supply all our need in a glorious manner, in glory or with glory, as the Greek text could be alternatively rendered. And it's only ever by or through the Lord Jesus, our Saviour and Mediator, that our needs are supplied. It's because believers are in Him, because we are in Christ, that our needs are met. We never receive anything because of our own merits, but for the sake of Christ, in whom believers are accepted. We are accepted in the Beloved, by whom we receive all good gifts. But now we come to the closing verses of Paul's epistle to those saints of Philippi, beginning in verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is here reminding his readers, including us, that it should be the aim of every believer in every generation to ascribe glory to God, all the glory. He is deserving of our praise and our worship, and we should not withhold this from him. As the hymn puts it, who is a pardoning God like thee, or who has grace so rich and free? Now verse 21 contains a request. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me greet you. Now, when we think of saluting someone, we invariably think in terms of the military doing that. But in the New Testament, it refers to sending greetings, sending good wishes. And so Paul wanted all the believers of Philippi to know 
that he was sending them greetings both from himself and also from those with him at Rome. The brethren which are with me greet you. And verse 22 is similar. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And here we have something wonderful, do we not? Something that could be easy to overlook. We refer to this briefly in our first study in Philippians where we considered chapter 1 and verse 13, which reads thus, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. There were believers in Caesar's household, in Nero's actual palace, showing us that there are no limits as to where believers may be found. Now Nero was one of the cruelest of the Caesars, if not the cruelest, especially towards believers. It's understood that some believers in Nero's day were actually thrown to the lions or covered in tar and burnt to illuminate his garment. But just consider what Paul wrote. All the saints salute you chiefly, chiefly they that are of Caesar's house. It was especially those who may have been in the greatest danger who wanted Paul on their behalf to send greetings to their brothers and sisters in Christ at Philippi. What a love and concern must have existed between them. I wonder if we have ever felt like this towards other believers, both those in relatively safe situations and those in perhaps less safe situations. That's food for thought, is it not? Now the final verse in our study this evening is a prayer from Paul that those saints of Philippi would continue to know the grace of God in their lives. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So finally we see that Paul once more states his desire that those saints of Philippi would know the grace of God. In his apostle epistle to the Colossian saints, we saw that he began and concluded that epistle with that same desire. He does the same thing. We all need the grace of God to enable us to persevere in the Christian life. And so this is something that we can always request when we are praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that they may know the grace of God in their lives. Well, we've come to the end of our study this evening, indeed the end of all our studies in Philippians, and there are several verses in chapter 4 or portions of them that it would be good if we could commit to memory. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Verse 7, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. From verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. And verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. However, I'd like us to try to remember in particular verse 1, which reads us. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Well, may the Lord help us all to stand fast in him. Amen. Amen.